0: But yes, smear campaigns. There's been, you know, people following me, car, you know, strange cars parked outside the house. Yes, yeah, so it can be quite intimidating, but you just have to keep going.
1: Adele Ferguson is one of the most prolific and influential journalists in Australia today, and yes, her journalism has created some powerful enemies. Hi, I'm Bill Bernbauer, the CEO of Democracy's Watchdogs. Adele has exposed scams by corporations, rorts in government programs and the plight of vulnerable people exploited by shonky operators. Her story set the national agenda – think Medicare rorts, cosmetic cowboys, insurance company and bank corruption – pathetically weak oversight by regulators. Adele's journalism has led to hundreds of millions of dollars being refunded to bank customers and ripped-off workers, as well as a royal commission and other inquiries. She has won more than 50 journalism and other awards. Adele writes for the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and the Financial Review, as well as occasionally reporting for 60 Minutes, Four Corners and The 7.30 Report. This podcast features extracts from her Four Corners investigation on the widespread underpayment of workers at 7-Eleven.
2: It's almost 100% of franchisees who engage in wage fraud. So their offers are not just turning a blind eye, it's a fundamental part of their business.
1: Adele, your stories have had a massive impact. Hundreds of millions of dollars paid to vulnerable workers a Royal Commission Parliamentary Inquiries called. Is that what you look for when you decide to dive into a particular project, the kind of impact that you may have?
0: Yeah, that's what I aspire to. I'll, you know, I get a lot of people contacting me and I try and look for bigger issues and have a look at what's wrong. Is it regulatory? Does it need to be properly scrutinised? So that's the hope at the end of the day that there'll be some form of a parliamentary inquiry or changes to the legislation.
1: Um, You know, these are powerful uh, figures and and personalities as well as organisations. What what are some of the things that you've um, encountered in in doing that?
0: Well, the smear campaigns, there'll be pressure on the editors uh, threats of advertising pulled. In the case of Commonwealth Bank, they actually followed through and pulled millions of dollars of advertising for the life insurance expose, Comminsure. and that happened just a week after many people were made redundant. So it really puts the pressure on. But yes, smear campaigns. There's been, you know, people following me, car, you know, strange cars parked outside the house. Yes, yeah, so it can be quite intimidating. But you just have to keep going.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of people would sort of say, well, is it worth the cost, Um, you know, being followed, possibly family at risk? um, So why do you do it?
0: I do it because, you know, that's what my job is as a journalist. We have to, you know, put the spotlight on people that don't want that spotlight put on them. And if, if we turned away, nothing would change. So someone has to do it, and, you know, there are a number of investigative journalists out there that are willing to, you know, do a lot more than I do.
2: There's been a sense of panic in the office. We've suddenly have gone from turning a blind eye to digging up as much as we can on franchisees and then putting it on the record. And in the short time we've been doing that, the last three or four weeks, Almost every franchisee has been caught not doing the right thing. That is to say, not paying correctly. The only reason that anything has changed is that... I think the company now fears that they're going to be exposed.
0: By Four Corners?
2: It seems so.
1: So, if investigative journalists don't do this type of work, I mean, who else is going to do it?
0: Well, this is the the thing. The regulators haven't been doing it often the police aren't doing it, so you need to have investigative journalism. It's so important.
1: I feel there wasn't a lot of investigative journalism done on business and on regulators before you came along. Is that your impression?
0: I actually hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it. So I I really don't know. I just look at what I do. And, you you know, I'd be looking at profits and balance sheets. I did an economics degree and... Did accounting and just look behind the numbers. And you know, sometimes you see some frightening things.
1: Yeah. What made you delve deeper into those behind the scenes issues than, say, some other journalists?
0: People would contact me and say, this is what's going on. So I'll give you an example of the retirement villages. Mm-hmm. Listed company called Aveo, it's one of the biggest retirement villages in the country. And if you look at the presentation, it will say that turnover, target of 20%. What does that mean? And analysts would be looking for it to be higher than that. And then the share price will go up. You look behind what turnover it is, and it's it's elderly people who are living in these retirement villages that they move on. They either die or they're too sick to stay there. So they move on. And the company then gets what's called an exit fee of up to 40% of the value of that property. So it's really payday for them when people leave. So the more churn there is, the bigger the profit for the company. And so that's why the target is whatever it is.
1: So you've got this clinical kind of sterile language presented to shareholders, but it doesn't show the human face.
0: That's exactly right. You know, And it's the same with life insurance. You, it's, it's profit before people, and that's where we have been going as a society. Many listed companies, it's all about get that share price up, get the profit up, people get bonuses on the back of that and, you know, there can be some horrific things behind that, what's going on.
1: You've also really put the spotlight on the regulators and they seem to be wanting.
0: Absolutely, they <laughs> hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. In some cases, they're captive there's been a revolving door of people in government or banks going to regulators and back again. And Yeah, they've just become captive. There's this whole notion that self-regulation works when it actually doesn't. And it's been going on for years. You have the vested interest. What I've found is you might have a parliamentary inquiry, there'll be some great recommendations made, and then suddenly you'll have the vested interests, the lobby groups who just go to Canberra like a pack of lotuses and just start diluting. And it's gone on for decades.
1: That's really... um, a great example of how power is exercised in Australia, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So you've got this um, cosy relationship, you've got an executive at a bank and then he moves to APRA or ASIC and then back again. And of course, if you're working for a, one of the uh, companies and you're thinking, well, I could increase my income by moving to a regulator or whatever, and you know, you get this relationship going and there's really very little, or tell me, is there very little scrutiny then of the behaviour of um, those institutions?
0: Well, that's exactly right. And what, what we found uh, with the Royal Commission into Financial Services, what, what became revealed was that the regulator, ASIC, was sending draft press releases. To the regulated entities. So, in the case of Cominsure, for example, I did a big expose on Combank's life insurance arm. Deloitte came in and did an independent expert report paid for by Combank, and ASIC also was told to do an investigation. That report took them a year. It was, you know, very few pages. Mm. And they end up putting out a press release just before Christmas, I think it was December the 18th when everybody's on holidays. And it's talking about a community benefit payment of $300,000. And the language is, it, it doesn't sound like much has happened mm. with mm. Commensure. Yeah. You go through the Royal Commission and they're looking at it, and they're looking at emails sent. and. The press release has been sent to Combank and it's been diluted, and they're discussing about a community benefit payment. Commissioner Hayne is saying there were four breaches of the rules here, which is $2 million a breach, that's $8 million. If you're saying an $8 million fine for false and misleading conduct or deceptive and misleading advertising. It's a lot different to a $300,000 community benefit payment. It just takes a whole different tone. And that's the sort of things that we've been getting for years. The regulated is, you know, the regulator is asking permission of the regulated about press releases or penalties that are going out. And that's an example of, you know, captive regulators.
1: That's pretty outrageous. And really, without the kind of work that you're doing, we'd be none the wiser.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's what's really scary about it. You know, some of the stuff that came out in the Royal Commission because they had the power to compel mm. was, was quite confronting about what's going on. It wasn't just a few bad apples. Mm. It wasn't just the odd mistake. It was actually systemic misconduct.
1: Mm. It seems to me that um, the old standard of so-called objectivity um, where both sides have an equal say, maybe doesn't really apply in a lot of these stories because the imbalance, uh, the power imbalance between these massive institutions with billions of dollars of profits each year and the mum and dad investors who are just trying to eke out a living is so great um, and there's the uh, behaviour is so egregious. So. Um, How how do you deal with that?
0: Well, I think that you just have to tip the balance in the, you have to give people a voice, which is what I try to do in my work with colleagues. You know, one example was the franchise sector, which is a $170 billion sector in Australia. We have the more franchisees per capita than any other country in the world. And they're small businesses. And that's where the power imbalance is incredible. You have the franchisor that, dictates everything, where they buy the, you know, they have to source flour, milk, everything from the franchisor. And they can abuse that power, and a number of them have. And the only way that the franchisee uh, can make a living, in some cases, is by underpaying workers. So the abuse just goes right down the line.
2: It's something which has bothered a lot of people, including myself. And it's something that you just can't... You get to a point where you just can't let it go for any longer. You know, too many people are being exploited for us to just keep carrying on, turning a blind eye. Enough is enough. A lot of us know the kids who work at these stores pretty well. You see them every week, and you know that they're working really hard for their future. They're usually students, and you can... You know that they know that you're in on it, and you feel guilty, you feel sick. So basically, you can work
3: up to 40 hours, and in your pace, it'll, it'll be still showing 20 hours. Uh, if I compare that date, along so that with my diary, immigration wouldn't know the about the hours insurance. that you work. So that's when I started thinking okay, this is actually a scam.
0: 7 Eleven head office invests in extraordinary store surveillance, and it manages the payroll of staff, and yet it claims ignorance when it comes to widespread wage abuse. In the past few weeks, Four Corners has spoken to many disaffected 7-Eleven workers. Our investigation reveals the extent of wage abuse. It asks, how much does head office actually know about the exploitation? Indeed, is it complicit? And that's what we've seen in that sector. So, you know, retail food group might say the reporting is unbalanced because but we, we send off lists of questions days and days beforehand. Same with the banks, same with retirement villages, same with the ATO. You send off lists of questions, you give them many days to come back with answers. And in most cases, you get a two or three paragraph statement where they're not answering any of the questions and they're just, it's just really PR spin.
1: You told some very human stories too, suicides, marriage breakdowns, rip-offs, dodgy contracts, exploitation of foreign workers, financial ruin uh, brought about by some of these really powerful companies, quite heartbreaking stories. How, how important was it to show the human face uh, in, in these stories?
0: I think it's it's absolutely imperative. Otherwise, you're just dealing with faceless people and numbers, and then nothing will change. You know, this is the collateral damage that, you know, the the slogan, profit before people, this is the damage that, that it does. You know, and people have to see that to actually comprehend just how it needs to change. Hammond, tell me how the scam worked. Let's pick a date, say... So...
3: Yeah, sure, I'll just pick a random paisley, which, um, so it shows that uh, 24.5 hours, into $20 an hour, and there's no problem. That's why they were not getting um, cop before, but that's what, uh, if I compare the same.
0: So, to all intents and purposes, this looks right.
3: Yes, that's how it works. It's exactly the half number of hours, but the double, double the pay, so that'll be the exact same. That's how the scam works. Yes, that's how it works. But let's say you're again, working you 20 hours, and your pay is legal on the show, uh, 10 hours. No... I did inquire about it they said so that you can work more hours. So basically you can work up to 40 hours and in your pace it'll it'll be still showing 20 hours.
1: What other challenges did you face in, um, really over the last, what is it, 10 years or so you've been doing these kind of stories?
0: Yeah, Um, I've been doing it for a while longer than that, but they've sort of really got traction. I remember when I was at BRW, I was writing about weak regulator, ASIC, for for many years before that. But I think the the stories really started getting traction in 2013 with the Commonwealth Bank financial planning, really when whistleblowers started coming forward. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first one was Jeff Morris, the Commonwealth Bank um, financial planning whistleblower who blew the lid on forgery, fraud, management cover-up which then had a cascade effect on many other whistleblowers coming forward.
1: So um, Jeff Morris and uh, Richard Boyle from um, the Australian Taxation Office are, are two whistleblowers uh, who did approach you, or you approached them, I'm not sure, but how important were they to, um, to your story and generally uh, to investigative journalism? I,
0: c- I can't ex- express how important they are n- enough none of these stories would have come out without whistleblowers without the bravery of whistleblowers i had no knowledge of what was going on at commonwealth bank until jeff morris came forward with you know the total exposé the same with national australia bank iwof it's always whistleblowers and then brave people standing up to tell their story without that combination these stories would never be told
1: and yet they pay um, a high price.
0: They do. They pay a terribly high price. In you know Jeff Morris's case, he had he he became a whistleblower internally uh, to ASIC, and ASIC did nothing for 16 months. And when it did, it was pretty pathetic. So he then came to the media. He tried many different journalists and politicians, and and got nowhere. And then he came to Senator John Wacker Williams, who then put him on to me and that's when he got a voice and could tell everyone what was going on. But he'd suffered marriage breakdown, PTSD. No one had hire a snitch, so he couldn't get a job. You know, in the case of Richard Boyle, yeah, he's from the ATO. He went internal to the ATO. He lodged a public interest disclosure document. The ATO internally investigated it and found there was nothing to see. So he then came to Four Corners and you know, expose what was going on. Just before um, it went to air, he was raided. And then a few weeks later, he was charged 66 charges and faces the equivalent of 161 years in jail. And, you know, and what's so egregious about it is because of Four Corners, the story, um, mongrel bunch of bastards, which is a joint venture with the Herald and the Age, there were a number of inquiries all vindicating that the ATO has aggressive debt collection tactics and it really needs to amend its ways with garnishee notices, which is what Richard was exposing. Mm. So, you know, he's really acted in the national interest and, and look at his punishment.
1: So without Richard and we we just simply wouldn't know what's happening behind this facade of, uh, you know, yeah. institutions that apparently care for their clients and their investors, when in fact, The truth is uh, something else.
0: Oh, that's right. You look at the Commonwealth Bank. You know the ads were, it's the Can Bank. It can, it can do everything for you. People, you know, customer surveys look like they're doing a great job with customers. But Jeff Morris's expose. Triggered something that was really amazing. I've never seen it before in my career. It triggered whistleblowers from other banks to come forward. And then it triggered uh, Dr. Ben Coe, who was the chief medical officer at Commonwealth, to come forward and expose what was going on in its life insurance division. So while it was while the bank at the time was saying we've learned our lessons from what happened with Jeff Morris, and we're amending our whistleblower laws and we're treating customers differently and mere culprit, etc. Here was Dr. Coe about to blow the lid on what's going on in another arm of the bank, which showed that the culture really was not what it should be.
1: So, we've had uh, the Royal Commission and we've had all sorts of promises about uh, whistleblowers and protecting whistleblowers. Do you think, bottom line though, that things will change?
0: I hope so, but I'm really not sure. I really don't know. Time will tell, you know, in terms of whistleblower, we are so far behind America when it comes to whistleblower protections. You know, in America, there's a whistleblower celebration day. Whistleblowers uh, get rewards Mm. for proceeds. They are not allowed to be sacked. It's a, we have none of that here. Mm.
1: How important was it to have an institution behind you when doing these stories, particularly like Fairfax or Nine or the ABC. Um, you know could you have done these stories without uh, strong support from from the institution?
0: No, I don't think so, because it's so expensive. it's It's really expensive to do investigative work, and I think the community possibly doesn't realise that, but you know the legal action. If, you know, if you get a defamation case, that can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, perhaps even more than a million dollars in some cases, if it gets appealed. How can someone who's freelancing take that on? Mm. You know, and, and it, it takes time, you know, so it's not just, you know, you don't just turn a story like this over in a few days. You've got to verify everything. You've got to make sure it's rock solid. And that takes time and time is money. So yeah, we really need, you know, more resourcing.
1: Hi, it's Bill Birnbauer back with you. If you enjoyed that podcast and want to hear more interviews with top investigative journalists, go to democracieswatchdogs.org and locate the podcasts tab. On the site, you can watch video interviews with all the journalists featured in these podcasts. You can subscribe to our podcast and also to our newsletter for alerts about forthcoming interviews and our latest news, and please, Help us produce more interviews by supporting our work. As a registered non-profit organisation, we depend entirely on your support. Just go to democracieswatchdogs.org, press the donate button and give us whatever you can afford. Every bit helps. It all goes into production and is greatly appreciated.
0: Thanks for listening and bye for now.